Hey, Brian. Brian, have you, have, you, uh, have you loaded the slides to the Sunday school, the class? Okay, so it's the first one following this. Okay. How are the newcomers? Yeah, Pew Research. Actually, I'll be here. I'll teach a class downstairs whenever this ends, home improvement. But there, we have other many great adult classes. What are your names again? Scott and Deborah. My wife's name is Deborah. I'm going to write it down or I'll forget. Brian, is this turn? There we go. Um, we're going to start. Oh, good morning. <laughs> I think we've already started uh, the adult class here. Once again, it's a little bit unusual because we're in this cavernous room and there are about 50 of us. So um, it's always challenging, but God bless you for being here. Thank you for coming. And for those who are listening online, uh, always grateful for the congregation to get together, the family, the church family. And actually, we may have others who are listening who are not even part of the Antioch Church of Christ. And if that's the case, then thank you for tuning in. And we pray that God will bless you in the process. We're on the 51st Psalm. We're going to open here in a moment with prayer. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalms 51. And let's, um, let's begin with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your presence within us, the Holy Spirit, and for allowing us to come together in this great country of ours with freedom of religion. We can meet together and, and study your word and pray without anyone uh, stopping us. We thank you for that freedom because Many in today's world don't have it. We ask your blessings as we go through the next half hour. May you receive the glory. May our walk with you be, uh, uh, be improved because we've turned to your word. Hear us, O oh God. Help us apply your teaching through Christ. Amen. Okay. Today we're going to wrap up Psalms 51. Um, I want to read first... I'm gonna, so if you have your Bibles, I would love to have you read, but I've already explained that you know, we just can't do that because of the, um, of the lack of the microphones. So listen to the word of the Lord. Let's put it all together, uh, beginning with verse 1. There are only 19 verses. 
And actually, you can pick up the steps of renewal. The first one is, of course, the cry of cleansing. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy steadfast love. According to thy abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless in your judgment. Then David talks about the depths of sin. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We're talking about the propensity of sin in a fallen world. Behold, you desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach wisdom. Teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Everything begins from within and flows out. We don't it, it doesn't start out there and flow in. It begins right here and flows out. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop. And hyssop was a medicinal herb. So he's using this as, a, as an analogy. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Fill me with joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. By the way, David will repeatedly bring up those verbs of, of cleanse and wash and blot and hide your face. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of, of, uh, of thy deliverance. He's bringing this to a close, which, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Verses... Um, verse 15 and forward and following. O Lord, open thou my lips and, thy, and my mouth shall, shall, for, shall show forth thy praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. Were I to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now verses 15, 16, and 17 are the three verses that we'll spend some more time in with a little depth here in just a moment. I'm not even going to discuss 18 and 19 other than, to, well, I'll read it. Well, I'll first read it. Do good design and thy good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Um, because we can pray for our nation. What David does is he gives, he's committed this heinous sin against God. And David feels like it was only against God when you really compare those, uh, those uh, victims of David's sin. Obviously, there was Bathsheba that he sinned against with his kingly power forcing her to lie with him. There, uh, there was Uriah, her husband, 
50 men that, that David betrayed. And so David goes through these seven steps of renewal and he closes with what God, what you really want from me, I will gladly give. And that's a broken heart, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. But then, as any good king would, and I think any good citizen, so when I go through, when I commit sin, and I've, and I've a psalm and applied it to me, and I can't tell you how many times. It's a great go-to scripture when we've gotten off the path. When we've, whatever, we've said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing, whatever, whatever sins we committed, it's a great step back. You begin with, have mercy on me, O God, you know, you know, blot out my transgressions and so forth. But when I finish that contrition moment, prayer, those steps to forgiveness, I think about those I've hurt in the process. Please bless Debbie and bless John Mark and Erica, Virginia and Anna and Eric and Tracy and Shane, and Stacy and Sonora, and Gracie, and Lawson, and our brothers and sisters, I wear, they all wear the same name, especially if the sin was public. So, 14 verses to beg God in a very private moment. And then he opens, if you'll forgive me, I'll make sure that the nation honors you. And we, I think, can also turn not only to our immediate families in prayer, but to our nation. Um, so whenever we commit sin, sin is never committed in a vacuum. There are always others involved. And our prayer needs to be not only forgive, but help them, bless them. It could be the cashier at Publix that, you know, I get angry with, or better yet, Home Depot or Lowe's, when they don't have the ticket on the piece of wood I want to buy, and I'm in a hurry, and the poor cashier says, I'm sorry, I've got to go back, you know, well, I'm telling you, it's 50 cents a linear foot, you know, etc. I don't know. Anyway, in that normally when things like that happen, I can tell this is an aside, but I can tell you, uh, I've even, you may, not, you, um, you may not do these things. I have gone to my car, driven miles down the road, and the Spirit was hitting my heart so badly I had to turn around, go back to the store, and seek the person out and say, I am sorry. I'm sorry. And invariably, they know me when I walk up. You know, it's not like, well, I've got a thousand customers, I didn't know it. Oh, no. When I turned around, it wasn't sweet. It was, and invariably she or he, usually a she, will say, thank you for coming back, sir. Very thoughtful. David felt the need to pray even though he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah. Do you think the other mighty men knew that? There are only 37 of them. You think his other 36 generals didn't know that the king just slept with Uriah's wife? 
and had, the, had him killed? You know, did they not go to their own home and say, you stay in the house? You know, I'm... Be delivered. Now, what David is talking about here in verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, he's clearly making reference to the murder of Uriah. Not necessarily in this moment with Bathsheba and the, and the sin of adultery. He's talking about murder. F deliver me from my, and that's exactly, that's a great translation, because the word literally means bloodletting. Forgive me from my bloodletting. I spilled blood. Thou shalt not murder. I murdered. Did David know the Decalogue? Did he know the Ten Commandments? The Sixth Commandment? You will not. And David violated the Sixth. He violated the uh, murder. And the Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, God of my salvation. Now, we need, and then he goes in this beautiful word, with this, and my tongue will sing aloud of thy deliverance. If deliver me, I will tell others about it. I will sing. David's a musician. So a lot of David's metaphors, he would have loved the, the illustration this morning. I'm, I think all musicians, and for the, you don't have to play an instrument or sing a song to appreciate cacophony and symphony, right? David, David was a musician, and the moment that he sinned, the music ceased. The joy stopped. And then what does he do? He writes a psalm, a hymn of mourning. He writes a hymn of contrition, not a hymn of joy, but of sadness. He still is a musician. He still, he's a poet. He still writes, but his attention is on the sad part of it. But when he steps up from the song, when God forgives him, then his tongue will sing aloud of his deliverance. My mouth shall, shall flow forth thy praise. I want to read Psalm 137. Um, maybe not the, well, it's only nine verses. I'll read it, certainly all the way through verse 6. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion on the willows there. We hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. The Jews were known for their singing. Now, where is this? The waters of Babylon. This is when Jerusalem was leveled by Nebuchadnezzar and the, um, and the Judeans, the Jews were carried off into captivity and they were on the rivers of Babylon in a foreign land. And what did their captors say? Sing to us. We've heard about your singing. Sing a song of Zion. And notice what David is writing here. Um, he says, verse 4, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Man, I... If you've ever had despair in your life, whether it be illness or loss of family or loss of a job, it's hard to sing a song in a foreign land. If I forget you, Jerusalem, 
my right hand wither. Let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. I buried my father in 2002. Uh, we thought mother would go first. She was really ill. But dad had a massive coronary and died right there on the kitchen floor of the only house I've ever known as a child. Mother had acute dementia, not Alzheimer's, but it was so acute she didn't know anything. In fact, I can recall telling her about dad's death on the way to the funeral. And she, I, and she said, where's your dad? And then all of a sudden, 30 seconds later, she would be wailing, just wailing. And then a minute later, dry up and say, they called, she called him Whit. Where's, where's Whit? Where's Whit? He should be here. I mean, it was a broken record, and it was painful. She lasted 100 days. There was no joy. She could no longer sing. It was exactly what the psalmist is writing about in 137. Exactly. And she died. It, it really, on the other side, I know she's with the Lord and things are great. And I want to say I'm sorry on the other side. You know, you wish you could have been there. I wasn't there when she, when she died. Um, That's the, that's the 137th Psalm. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? It's a beautiful text, and, and this is what he's making reference to uh, in Psalm 51. And by the way, you can look at Psalm 137 and look at the dates of these psalms, Psalms 30. These psalms, are there, are there are 150 psalms, and it's not Psalm 1 was the first and Psalm 150 was the last. David wrote about 75, about half of the Psalms, and they're not in any chronological order. So you have to read the context and then figure out. We know Psalm 137 was following, was in the exile. So it had to be in the um, 6th century, around 580, 575 B.C., sometime around then. So Psalm 51 was written about the same time. You have Bathsheba, you've got that moment, you've got Nebuchadnezzar coming, you've got all these things happening, um, and, and so David understood that. Uh, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy deliverance, my mouth shall flow forth with thy praise. So he then asks, what can we offer the Lord? It's a good question. When you commit sin, what can you offer? David is saying, if I offer bulls and goats, by the way, you know, Hebrews, I forgot the text, do I have it in here? Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then he says in Psalm 51.16, for thou hast no delight in sacrifice. Were I to give a burnt offering, thou wouldst not be pleased. Well, excuse me, David, but I thought God wanted sacrifice. But if you read, I think there's one more. Now look at Joel 2.12. Every time God required a blood sacrifice, it wasn't the bull or the goat or the lamb that he was after. He was after obedience. He was after contrition that would offer the bull, the goat, or the lamb. God was never after blood. 
He was after the, the contrite, broken heart. Now we know that Jesus fulfilled, you know, he was the ultimate sacrifice. And without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. But since David could not offer, he felt like it would be useless to offer the bulls and goats. And, and he's right, it would have been. Nathan comes to him and says, David, you're the man. And David says, okay, I'll offer 50 bulls and I'll offer 10,000, you know, and then I'm, my, my, my slate is clean. David knew better. Why did he know better? He had the Spirit of God. You've got this nudging of the Spirit within David, and I think within all of us, within David, to say, it's not the bull and the goat, David. You know, I want you. I want you. And so it's, it's a good question. When Bud and Wit and Betty and Jane, when we sin, what do we offer God? I know it's hard to talk with masks on. If you have one word, take the mask off and just tell us. I'm sorry. You offer you, yourself. By the way, and I don't think I have this on slides here. Well, I do, really. That time covered it up. <laughs> but there are too many passages there. So let me abbreviate these. God has always wanted your heart. It's not by accident that when the Spirit of God came to us and Joel's prophecy was fulfilled on Pentecost, and in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, and she sees Jesus, she's drawing water, he asks for a drink, he recognizes that she's a Samaritan. He's, you know, she recognizes that, that he is a Jew. And she, you know, why are you asking me for a drink? Don't you know the Jews don't deal with the Samaritans? And Jesus said, a woman, if you knew who it was who's asking you for a drink, you would ask him for living water. And then she said, well, bring me, you know, give me some of this living water. And then he talks about her husbands and so forth. She understands that he is a prophet. And so she asks an age-old question, where do we worship? You're a, you're a man of God. You're a prophet. You just told me all about my past. You must be from God. So if you're from God, I'm really curious. Is my worship on, on this mountain okay, or do I need to go to Jerusalem? And Jesus says, woman, the hour is coming. I think he's making reference to Pentecost. The hour is coming and now is his presence when you will neither worship God in Jerusalem or on this mountain. Here it is. For God is spirit. And those who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. In spirit and in reality. It's a great text. The spirit that he's making reference to came on Pentecost, 1 Corinthians 3.16. I used the text this morning. Do you not know that your temple is the body of Christ and the spirit of God dwells within you? And then Romans 12, here's the connection to Psalm 51. In Romans 12, Paul says, um, <laughs> somebody help the boy here. Uh, just get me started. The very first verse, Romans 12, where we're, uh, Offering a sacrifice. Say again. 
Your life is a sacrifice. I need the first few words, Teresa. Yeah, I appeal. Here it is. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. It's funny how when you memorize things, you have a mental block. One of the reasons it's time for me to step down, I'm getting too many of these. And I'm thinking, and we don't use notes. I'm thinking, I'm just going to stand up here and stare until the word comes. Well, all of a sudden, 25 or 30 minute sermon, you could be here 60 minutes. And then I don't have to worry about the next Sunday because then you'll tell the shepherds, okay, I think we're ready. You know? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. All of these liturgical words Paul deliberately used. He's saying that when we worship, we don't need to be, I'm bringing the two texts together, we don't need to be in a building made with human hands. We don't need to be on a mountain or in the temple. Why? Because you are the temple. Everywhere you go, you are the church. Lead a life worthy of, of, of the calling to which you've been called. You are the church. Well, when you sin, where's the blood of bulls and goats? Well, you have Jesus. But is there not a sacrifice even with Christ? Yes. What's the sacrifice? Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. So whenever David asks the question, what can I offer? David answers his own question. Bulls and goats don't work. What you want from me is a broken heart a contrite spirit. And then David closes, that sacrifice you will not uh, deny. You will not despise. I tell you what, church, it's a beautiful psalm. Uh, put a lot to memory if you can. If not, put it into to word for word. Then put the thoughts down. Even those who are the oldest, do I sin less than I did at 30? Well, let, let, me, let me give you a, a hint. The real, the, the, the real answer is yes, I do. I'm much more cognizant of my life and what I say and what I do. Do I sin? Oh, yeah. Even at 71. That means at 30, I did it even more. Now, for around, you know, they could, I, I don't know. I'm just talking about my life. And I'm telling you that this is the beautiful psalm, that when we get off the path, regardless of our age, it's the same procedure for getting back on. Have mercy, O oh God. I offer myself. Please forgive me. And then you start fellowshipping again. That's who we are as the body of Christ. So with that in mind, um, let's um, close with prayer. I'd, offer, I'd ask for questions, but can't do microphones anyway. So let's just close. By the way, next Sunday, Patterson will teach the class. I'm looking forward to it. And then uh, soon after, I'll come back with a new series, uh, a, a new study uh, other than Psalm 51. And, uh, and we'll see what that is. I'm not sure yet. So we'll see how it all works out. All right? Well, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you so much for giving us your word for all these years allowing us to have a guide for our lives.
We realize we have the Spirit of God living within us, but you have given us the living Word that we read from the printed Word and we put into our daily walk, and we thank you for that. So we ask your blessing. I ask your blessing to be with on every person here and all of those in the sound of my voice. Bless them, forgive them, and draw them closely to you. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Have a beautiful day.